want to take a few minutes and think together about what it means to love one another. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at love, haven't we? We talked about how God is love last Sunday. And uh, if you missed that, I really encourage you to listen to that again through the website. But we said that God's love is very different from the way we operate as human beings. And so if God's love is different from the way we operate as human beings, let's talk together about how do we then love one another the way God loves us. Because if you look around you, there's a whole bunch of different people in this room. Or if you'd like to look at the front, there are people in this room who are difficult to love. I thought that would be funnier than that, but never mind. (laughs) But God has designed us to love one another. And so let's think about that for a moment. 1 John chapter 4 is the verse that kind of got me started on this. I want to read it from the Passion Translation, just because. (laughs) This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. There's the contrast that we looked at last week between God's love and human love. We called it agape or eros, didn't we? And it was God's love, not ours. And then it says this, He proved it by sending His Son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. And I want to suggest to you that the beginning of being able to love one another is for each of our hearts to recognize how much God loved us. The beginning of being able to love one another is to recognize in our hearts how much God loved us. I want to suggest that the gospel is more than just the words in this book. The gospel is actually God's heart towards humanity. And if I were to sum it up in one sentence, it would be this. We mess up, and God comes to us. That's the gospel. We mess up, and God comes to us. Now, if you've been around church as long as I have, and scanning around the room, it looks like a few of you may have been. (laughs) Nothing personal, but (laughs) some of us have been around a long time, right? There's a lot about that sentence that kind of rubs me the wrong way. We mess up and God comes to us, is the gospel. But if I'm truthful, that's not what I learned all through those years in church. There's a beautiful way of presenting the full gospel that I've been studying recently. And it was created originally by a a pastor called Brian Zand. Well, actually, I think he credits Brad Jersak, who's a pastor from Abbotsford, British Columbia. Uh, They, between them, credit an Orthodox priest from who knows where. 
But anyway, I found a video of it, and I'd love to show it to you. It takes about six or seven minutes. But this is a pastor called Bruxy Cavey from uh, Ontario. So he's got a Canadian accent, so you know he's close to Jesus. <laughs> Just kidding. But I'd like you, to, rather than me try and show you this, I'd love you to watch this with me. So this is the gospel in chairs. And what he's doing is he's contrasting two different versions of the gospel. The first one may seem familiar to any of us who've been around church for a while. And it's got some really strong and powerful truth in it. But the second one is even more powerful. Let's watch. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to walk through just the very basics of the gospel. There's so much we could say, but I want me to walk through the very basics of this aspect of the gospel visually twice. I'm going to do it two slightly different ways. The first time I walk through it, I'll try and highlight key aspects of the gospel that many of us have heard repeated throughout our lives. And there's much, much beauty and much truth in the first way the gospel is presented, but I think there's also some things that are miscommunicated and that we can do a better job, a more biblical job addressing. So then we will walk through it a second time and try and make those adjustments. Are you ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the world and he created us in his image and in his likeness. And as the God who is love made us in his image, he desired nothing more than to have a face-to-face -face love relationship with his image bearers. But love necessitates choice. And so God invested in us the real actual freedom to choose with laid out options whether we want to remain in intimate relationship with him or to walk away from that. And we chose to turn our back on God and to go our own way. And we sinned in Adam and Eve and then in Cain and Abel and in generation after generation around the world we have chosen the way of sin. And God who is not only love, but is also a holy and righteous and wrathful judge, too pure and too holy to look upon sin, turned his back to us. And we were under the condemnation of God, who is our source of life. But God is not just condemnation, judgment, and wrath. He is not just a holy and righteous judge. He is a loving father. He sent Jesus. And Jesus came and became one of us. He took on our flesh. And he not only took on our flesh and showed us what a perfect human life was designed to be. He, he took on, eventually on the cross, our sin. And in so doing, he also took on the wrath of God who turned his back to his son. And Jesus not only took on the sins of the world, he took on the wrath of the Father and then died and rose again to put that wrath aside. Now, Jesus not only changes our hearts, Jesus has changed the heart of the Father who has vented his wrath on Christ and can relate to us now in mercy. the gospel round one.
Do you recognize much of it? Those of you who have grown up in the church have heard it this way. I think, I think there are some things we can do better on. Let's try again. In the beginning, God created the world and created us in his image and in his likeness. And God, who is love, wanted nothing more than to have a relationship with his image bearers. But God, who is love, knows that love is a choice, and so he created an actual, real opportunity for us to choose to love him back or to go our own way. And we chose to go our own way in the garden and with Cain and Abel and in generation after generation. And when we made that choice, God pursued us. He came looking for us in the garden. He came looking for Cain after he killed Abel and said, I'll protect you from other people's vengeance. He, he came looking for the children of Israel. And even when we turned our back on him again, God came again and said, I will give you laws to guide you. I will give you directions to lead toward your own holiness. And we said, we prefer the golden calf. And God said, I will send you prophets who will teach you and who will call you and we said no. And God said, then I'll, I'll, I'll put you in captivity so that you will grow, not, not just to punish you, but so that you will grow thirsty for more of me. And we said no. And God kept coming to us again and again and we kept turning away until finally, because he loves us, he sent his son Jesus to come and become one of us and to live as the perfect man among us. Not since Adam had the universe ever seen a perfect human being and he was freaky. He taught people how to love not only God but their neighbor as they love themselves, even love their enemy to see the value and worth in all people. He lived a life that rebuked religion but welcomed every sinner who felt that they were outside of God's reach. He never pushed them away in judgment. He always pulled them close. And, and then, after he had reached out to a woman at a well who was Samaritan and said, I, I can't believe you're talking to me. He said, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to reveal myself to you. After he talked to Zacchaeus, a tax collector, who the whole town despised, but Jesus said, I want to come to your house. Let's hang out together. He front and loaded acceptance, and that led to Zacchaeus' repentance after he... Uh, talked to a woman who had been caught in adultery and was expecting she would be stoned. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Your accusers are gone. He protects her from them. And then he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And notice the order of that. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And notice he does not add, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or then I really will condemn you. The front end loaded of acceptance and forgiveness just flows out of his life. We can't, we don't know what to do with it. And it's threatening to our religious institutions that are predicated on an eternal insecurity in our relationship with God until finally we crucify him. And we pour out our wrath on Christ while the Father looks on and expresses his love and reconciliation through Jesus. And Jesus dies, but he rises again. And he calls us 
into a relationship with a father who has always been the prodigal son's father wanting us to come home. This is God's disposition towards you. And it doesn't stop there. He promises not just to be a God who will live with us, but who wants to live in us, and us in Him. He gives us His Spirit, and together we do life. This is good news. This is good news. We mess up, God comes to us. We have to read the book, or the books if you like, because <laughs> this is a whole library in here, right? We have to read this through the lens of Jesus, because Jesus is the Word of God. And what I want us to catch from what Bruxy was sharing there is that Luke 15, remember he, noted, he, he referenced the father of the prodigal, didn't he? I think Luke 15 is Jesus' Cliff Notes version of the whole gospel. He tells a story about two different kinds of human beings, one who wants to go off and do his own thing, but in the end comes to his senses and comes home. And another one who keeps trying to do the right thing and is offended by the one who came home. But the Father reaches out to both. So wherever you and I sit this morning, Father's reaching out to us. And we can't love each other until we love each other the way God loves us. Because love is experienced more easily than it's intellectually understood. Each of you in this room has experienced God's love in some way. But each of us in this room, God wants us to experience his love more. And that's his purpose for us gathering this morning, is that we would taste more of his love. And Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now you can't love me the way God intended you to until you know how much God loves you. And vice versa. So we need to receive love first before we can give love or as it says in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So I'd like us to look for a few moments at 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage about love. And I'm going to read it first by saying God is. The passage says love is, but we just said God is love. When I say it with God is, I think it'll make sense to you. It rings true with me. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. 
God does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never ends. Does that ring true to you? Yeah. I could repeat it, I won't, but I could repeat it with Jesus is. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus doesn't envy or boast. I said I wouldn't do it, and I'm not going. <laughs> but you can do it with Jesus. Now try doing it with your name. Mark is patient and kind. Mm. Sometimes. Mark doesn't envy or boast. Sometimes. Mark is not arrogant or rude. Well, maybe seven out of ten on that one. Mark does not insist on his own way. <laughs> I'm going to stop there because it gets worse. But what's the difference? You know, I can read it with God or Jesus in there and it works. <laughs> but then when I read it with Mark in there, it falls apart about halfway through. It's because I need to experience love before I can give love. The problem is, I am well aware of where I fall short. And I think that I need to deserve love before I can receive love. But as the Gospel in Chairs shows us, every time I turn away, God comes in front of me. He comes to me. He wants to restore relationship. He wants to restore wherever I've turned away. He wants to turn back to me. So if we make it practical, because that's always a helpful thing to do, right? Let's do a few practical things together this morning. Like I've said, first we have to receive love. Or as the flight attendant says, if you're sitting next to somebody who's screaming when the masks fall down, put your own mask on first. We all of us know people <laughs> who need an oxygen mask in the game of life. But we have to put our own mask on first so that we can help them. So let's close our eyes because I want this to be a private thing between you and God. Father, where do I need love? Would you show me now? Father, what are some of the ways that you want to show me more of your love? Whatever he nudges you over, 
Just say yes to him. It may not be anything dramatic, but he wants you to see and experience more of his love. We said last week that God's love is complete and freely gives. And in a moment of quietness now, I believe God is giving an extra download of love to each one of us, wherever we need it. It may be where I feel like I've messed up. And God comes to meet me in my mess. It could be where I feel I've missed out. But I find I've not missed out at all because God is right here with me. It could be where I've been unaware of how loving God is. And he wants to open my heart to more of his love now. So Lord, we do that. We want to receive love from you again right now. So we open our hearts and say, would you pour your love into me afresh, right here, right now? And as we receive, then God calls us to give. Because he wants us to be like the Sea of Galilee and not like the Dead Sea. See, the Dead Sea has input, but no outflow. And so it's dead. But the Sea of Galilee has input and outflow. And it's as the water flows out that the life flows. And it's the same with love in our lives. We receive, but God calls us also to give. And what we see in the love of Jesus is that he gives even when it's undeserved. Do you remember we said last week, God doesn't keep score, but I do. And so as we think about giving love, I need to think about who doesn't deserve love in my life and how does God want me to love them? Who have I pushed to the side because I've been keeping score and how does God want me to show love in that relationship? It's interesting when God calls us to forgive. 
which he does, right? <laughs> if anyone sins against you, forgive them. Well, forgive is two words. It's for give. In other words, I'm giving for that relationship. And God will have placed people in your life that he wants you to give love to. And it begins with forgiving. So who has God placed in my life for me to forgive? To give for? Let's be quiet and listen to him again on that one. Father, you call me to give love. But often in those closest relationships, it has to begin with forgiveness, where I refuse to keep score, where I refuse to hold on to the faults of others. But I let those go in order that I can give love that's undeserved, but that I've received from you. Father, I'm choosing to forgive because you love me. I recognize that forgiveness is a choice that's just rooted deeply in that love that you have for me. And so I want to give to others around me or others before me. For most of us, the forgiving begins with those closest to us, the ones who brought us into this world, mum, dad, and others in those sorts of roles. And then those closest to us today, our friends, our spouses, our children, our neighbours, our workmates. If you take a moment with God now, I guarantee you he'll show you someone that you can forgive again. I encourage you to give forgiveness because it's the beginning of giving love. So, Father, we've chosen to receive your love as you offer it to us, knowing us perfectly. And we're choosing to give love by forgiving and releasing those around us. Now, Father, would you deal in my heart with anything that's not like you? We've said many times before that the center of sin is I. And often when we get into this kind of place of dealing with God and allowing his love to operate, there's that I in me that rises up. But I want or I need or I don't agree or anything that causes me to close my heart to love is rooted in eros, is rooted in I. It's human love. And God wants to replace it with his love. He says he'll take away our heart of stone, this, the heart that builds up self-protection. And I'll give you a heart of flesh, a heart like Jesus, a heart that's wide open. As was demonstrated for us in the video, the heart that keeps pursuing love, that keeps pursuing relationship.
So, Father, would you show me now any areas in my heart where I rises up? Anything in my life where I want to do it my way and not your way? Because with your help, I want to choose to turn away from that dynamic and toward your open arms. I can only love others if I'm not defending myself. And I want to love the way you've told me to love, the way that reflects you. So we're going to be quiet for just a moment here for you to say whatever you need to say to God out of those three specific areas. You know every heart in this room. And I believe and agree that you're at work in each heart in this room. That we would know your love more fully and share it more abundantly in the power of the Spirit. Thank you for working in each one of us. And finally, to land this, the reason love is love is because it's given and received. Father and Son and Holy Spirit constantly giving and receiving love within themselves. You run out of words to be able to describe God, don't you? <laughs> I do. But God is community. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Love requires community. And love is effective in community. God has put people around you for you to love. God has put people around you to love you. And love has to be given and received for it to be truly love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever receives him, who believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's in the giving and receiving that love grows and love is expressed. So we're going to finish up here by you asking God, who can I show love to right now before I go? 
show me how. It may be a, a, a word of encouragement, it may be a, a, some kind of apology, it may be some sort of, would you stand with me in this challenge that I'm facing? Whatever it may be, but who can you show love to in these last few moments before we close out? In fact, the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed and then you go and show love to someone before you run out the door. Is that okay? So let's be quiet so we hear God's answer. Don't do this in your own wisdom or with your own understanding. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Who do you want to thank for being there for you? Who do you want to tell I'm here for you? Who do you want to be closer to than you have been in the past? Father, who have you put in my life for your kingdom to come through our relating together? So, Father, thank you that this whole universe rests on your love for humanity. And you created every single human being to receive love from you and to give it to those around and to see you at work in that exchange. So now, Father, let your love increase in every one of us and guide us and inspire us and anoint us as we share love with others. So that your kingdom comes here on the Grand Strand through ordinary people like us. Let it be. Because you're worth it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. That which you do, do quickly. <laughs> Thank you. There is one person we want to especially love, just to help you out if you're struggling to know who. There's one person in this room who has a birthday today. Who would that be? <laughs> so, <laughs> if you need a hint on who to love, there's one, okay? But love others too. Happy birthday, Alex.